Hello, I'm Caleb Howard, and this is Tales from Sacred Texts. We tell Bible stories in a sarcastic and informative manner, narrate Christian history and mythology in a way that keeps you on the edge of your seat, and discuss religion with our best storytelling foot forward. If you're not a Christian, perfect. This podcast is critical of the establishment and is told from a perspective that a non-Christian can easily appreciate if they want to learn anything about Christianity, or simply hear a good story. If you haven't been listening, you really should go back to Pilgrim's Progress Part 1. We're retelling a popular Christian allegory in big chunks, and this is Part 3, so I'd really recommend starting from the beginning. Today, as I said before, we're doing Pilgrim's Progress Part 3, and we're halfway through the story. We'll kill off a major character, spoilers, pick up a new one with no introduction, and meet some random miscellaneous characters that have little to do with the plot. Christian has four major struggles, and we hit two of them last episode. We'll hit one this episode and start on the fourth and biggest struggle of all. A trigger warning before this story. Heavier violence than usual, and several mentions of ending one's own life. If you're uncomfortable with that, you can skip this episode. If not, we'll go ahead. Let's get into the story. Faithful slapped Christian on the armor. That, that was awful. Yeah, like he was so much more attractive at a distance than when he was walking with us, Christian said. And I'm not kidding. The story actually says this. Faithful rolled his eyes. No, not that. Who cares how he looked? The guy himself just sucked. All he had wanted to do was talk, as one might expect from someone named Talkative. He loved talking, but he hated actually doing anything. He talked about religion, but he had no real plan to act on it. For two pilgrims who were walking an enormous distance to get to the celestial city, taking action, such company was burdensome at the very least. By the end of the encounter, Christian and Faithful were insulting Talkative. He was insulting them, and insults were flying all around. Faithful even started up a poem about Talkative with some classic 17th century lines. I don't know why, but reading the whole talkative conversation, which is so tedious and boring that I really can't include it in this episode, has made me very nostalgic. Perhaps it sounds like the kind of stuff my church family would discuss when I was very young. I don't know. But it's time to move on from talkative and into Vanity Fair. Because it wasn't long after the end of the conversation with Talkative that they started to enter a massive fair. A fair selling all sorts of things, including lives, bodies, blood, and souls. There were amusements put on by cheats, fools, rogues, and apparently apes fit in this category somewhere. Everyone there was evil. Seeing as it was set up by three demons, that was about what you could expect. They mainly built the fair for the sole purpose of wreaking havoc on pilgrims and imported all sorts of evil people, and Christian and Faithful soon attracted everyone's attention as they were wearing shining robes, speaking a different language, and screaming Bible verses at people as they plugged their ears whenever anyone tried to sell them something. It was that last one that really got people going, so one guy got up in their faces and leered at them. What do you want to buy? He howled. They screamed back at him. We will only buy the truth. 
So when a town run by demons meets people who are sticking their fingers in their ears and screaming Bible verses, the place immediately goes into havoc. And that's exactly what happened. And the pilgrims were quickly taken to the head demon who, being obviously evil, had them chained up, beaten, covered in dirt, and put into a cage. In the cage, it was just the classic medieval punishment. People walked by, throwing things at them, insulting them, hitting them with things, laughing at them, and just using the poor pilgrims for their general amusement or as a punching bag. The head demon, obviously, thought that this was very funny. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on whose side you are on, some people took it out on the poor pilgrims so much that the others, even though they disliked the pilgrims, thought the head demon and his people were taking things a bit too far. These good, I guess, people in the fair started insulting the people who were abusing the pilgrims. Things went about how you'd expect them to go. A massive battle royale ensued with people fighting back and forth about how the pilgrims should be treated. Seeing that this is a medieval work of fiction, the victim blaming shouldn't surprise you. The pilgrims were immediately blamed for the fact that everyone in the fair was choosing to fight each other and were beaten and tormented further. Oh, okay, great deal, we get a trial. The pilgrims finally thought that justice might be done. Just kidding. After some days, the pilgrims were taken to court. Some people, after being mistreated by the judicial system, go to court and still think they'll get a fair deal. I will not speak on that. But let's just say that the pilgrims were not going to get any sort of fair deal. That was obvious as soon as they met Judge Hategood. Christian blurted, he's not going to be a good guy. We know by the names. Faithful nodded. That was day one stuff in this universe. They were in for it. But maybe, just maybe, jury selection would go well. It wouldn't. Blind man, because he's blind to justice, obviously. No good. Malice. Love lust. Live loose. Heady. I don't know what that means, but I assume it's bad. Enmity. Liar. Cruelty. Hate light, because light is the truth, you know. And unsatisfiable were selected for the jury. All you need is one, Christian remarked. One vote and the jury can't convict you. Maybe Hetty will vote for us. I don't know what that means. Maybe he's not evil. We're in a town run by demons, Faithful reminded. The judge's name is Hategood, and one of the jurors is named Cruelty. Whatever Hetty is, it's not a good thing. This isn't looking good for us at all, Christian said dolefully. Faithful was up for trial, and the witnesses gave their testimony. They all said their piece. Envy said that Faithful was one of the worst men in their country. Superstition said that he didn't know Faithful well. A perfect time for an objection in a regular courtroom, but all that was said in this dystopian courtroom was that Superstition didn't want to get to know Faithful any better. Gossip said that Faithful had made some mean tweets. Gasp. Some of them even about the judge. The judge's objective response to this was that Faithful absolutely deserved to die, but because he was such a nice and fair guy, he let Faithful say a few words in his own defense before he's dead. Are you getting flashbacks to the death of Jerome in Season 3, Episode 2? Because I am, and I'm pretty sure John Bunyan was. In response to Envy, Faithful said that he was willing to change his ways if he could be proved wrong from the Bible. Probably not the best thing to say in a town run by demons, but a definitive flashback to Huss and Jerome. 
In response to superstition, well, he didn't have to get to know him any better, but that didn't make what he had said in public any less valid. And in response to gossip, yes, the people in this town run by demons were all going to hell. Okay. Wow, that last one. That was harsh. Faithful doubled down on it. The judge took some time to read the jury instructions. John Bunyan loves his courtroom scenes. And then sent the jury out to deliberate. The jury instructions made clear that thought crime was a thing in Vanity Fair, which was very relevant to Bunyan's day and age when even disagreeing with the church or the king in private could mean death. I see very clearly that that man is a heretic, the foreman of the jury said to start the deliberations, and yet another furtive shibboleth insulting the Catholic Church. There are a ton of them in this book, and I've just been ignoring them to avoid disrupting the flow of the episodes. The jury came back in a few hours, but it wasn't a few hours of deciding whether or not he was guilty. Instead, it was a few hours of coming up with the coolest punishment possible. So Faithful was stoned, beaten with fists, slashed with knives, pelted with stones, poked with swords, and burnt at the stake. But in one of the many moments where this book bleeds from covert to overt Christianity, Faithful's soul was immediately carried by a chariot to the celestial city. Meanwhile, Christian was pretty much ignored because in the process of coming up with a really horrible death for Faithful, they completely forgot that Christian was standing there in shining armor. When they were finally done killing Faithful, they put off killing Christian for a little while, and somehow, we don't know exactly how, he managed to escape. And he met a guy named Hopeful, who came from where? Apparently the fair, he had gotten tired of living in a town ruled by demons. Did he go through the wicket gate? The one with the demon snipers that the book makes a huge deal about? We don't know. Why did he have a good name when everyone else in the fair had evil names? We don't know. What do we know about this guy? He joined Christian and they decided to travel together. That's it. So there's no character backstory? There's one paragraph and then we meet a completely different guy who has a bunch of friends with evil names. His own name means selfish motive. Christian tells Hopeful to watch out. That guy? He's a total knave. He then approaches Selfish Motive and asks the guy if that was his real name. The man says that he is not Selfish Motive, and there's absolutely no reason to call him that. It's insulting. All he did was do things for Selfish Motives. Why did he deserve a name called Selfish Motive? That made him sound bad. Anyway. Christian commented that that's exactly why people are named in this universe, and that if he did things for selfish motives, then selfish motive was what he should be called. Selfish motive, money love, and some others went up to Christian and asked him how appropriate it was to use your Christianity to exploit other people to get money for yourself. Not at all, Christian responded, which made these guys really angry. They then went off the road to filch some silver from a mine and were never seen again. So it goes. Okay, yikes. That's a good way to kill off minor characters. Damaskrand. Okay, your name is a little more obscure and also sounds like a kind of rude word, Christian said. But I checked the Bible and you're definitely evil. Your name's mentioned in the Bible, you know. Damas shrugged his shoulders and chuckled. 
Want some silver? There was a huge debate where Hopeful wanted some, and Christian said, No silver for us. The mine will kill us. This guy has an evil name. I've researched him. I finally learned now. We don't want no part of this. We then have a scene where Hopeful talks about how awful he was and how could he have ever wanted some silver and how bad of a guy he is and how selfish he is for ever wanting any money and all that kind of stuff. So after this little encounter, which does nothing for the plot, but really just gets you some sort of idea what kind of guy Hopeful is, Christian and Hopeful come to a ladder that goes over a wall. On one side of the wall, there is the path to the celestial city filled with potholes, and on the other side of the wall, there is a beautiful meadow. Christian and Hopeful made the natural decision to walk in the beautiful meadow. Nothing would go wrong with that, would it? Completely a good and safe idea. Well, they had some doubts that the beautiful meadow was going to lead them in the right direction, a bad place to start, a man named Confident for no reason. Ask the name, people! A man named Confident for no reason came up to them, and besides having a mouthful of a name, told them he knew which way to go, and started leading them through the meadow. And we'll find out what happens to Christian and Hopeful, but that will be right after this. Confident for no reason screams died away as he fell into a deep pit with sharpened sticks at the bottom. Ouch. Christian and Hopeful looked at each other. Coming this way was not the move. You could say that one again, Christian looked at Hopeful. They needed to get out of here as soon as possible. How was I to know that this path went the wrong way? Christian moaned. We're in a universe where literally almost everything is evil, there are demons everywhere, and oh great, it's starting to thunder and we're now in the middle of a flood and can barely walk and are about ready to get swept away and drowned. Hopeful said more as exposition than an answer to Christian's soliloquy. As they fought to get back to the path, the flooding grew worse. They were nearly drowned several times, and finally, the two gave up. Stumbling around, they managed to blunder their way into a rude, makeshift shelter. Exhausted, the two fell asleep. Thud. 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 Booming noises shook the pair awake in the early morning. Or at least they supposed early morning. The gloomy clouds above blocked out even the thought of the sun. Who knew what time it was, but Christian and Hopeful soon realized they had bigger fish to fry, as it were. A loud noise seemed to come from high above them, too far above them. The noise seemed... human? As they gazed upward, the pair were horrified. The noise was a voice, the voice of a giant. A hideous giant with a horrifyingly ugly face and a gigantic tree trunk that was supposed to be a mace in his right hand. They could just make out what the giant was saying. What are you doing here? Pilgrims, Christian stammered out without thinking. In a universe where almost everything was evil and an obstacle to cause hurt and mischief to all the pilgrims, Christian showed his cards. That was enough for the giant. 
they had trespassed on his grounds. So in a classic medieval move, they were going straight to the dungeons. Read, about to die. The giant swung his tree trunk club at the pilgrims, who ran as fast as they could to avoid one swing ending their life. It may have been better if they had died, though, because the giant drove them ahead of him all the way to a nasty, foul-smelling dungeon where he locked them up in a cage, and then he seemed to forget all about them. From Wednesday morning, when they were captured, to Saturday night, the giant never showed up, either to feed them, give them water, or even let them have a chance to see the faintest light. John Bunyan emphasized here that no one even asked the pair how they were doing, which kind of baffles me because if someone is planning on starving you to death, are they going to swing by to ask about your well-being? But maybe in the Middle Ages, great and powerful lords would starve their prisoners to death while walking by every day sincerely asking them what was wrong? I highly doubt it, but I'm having a hard time getting why John Bunyan is acting like it's so surprising and bad that while these prisoners are starving to death, the main problem is that no one is asking them how they are doing. Regardless, the pair did not have any food, water, or anyone asking them how they were doing. So they sat in silence and misery, while Christian had the time to say a couple of cute little poems. Have I done a poem yet this episode? I haven't? Okay, time for the cute little poem. The pilgrims now, to gratify the flesh, will seek its ease, but oh, how they afresh! do thereby plunge themselves new griefs into, who seek to please the flesh, themselves undo. For the first time, I'm going to endorse this little rhyme. Trying to satisfy your own desires and gain pleasure and ease with no regard for others really can go pretty badly. Not necessarily no one asks you how you're doing as you starve to death badly, but things often end up pretty dark in the end. Beat them like the dogs they are! Beat them like dogs, crowed the giant's wife, insecure. Okay, whoa. Giant Despair said, I may be an evil despot, but I don't beat dogs. That's awful. Also, your name is literally insecure, but you're shouting in my ear like you're a woman on a mission. But though the giant criticized his wife, he couldn't get her advice out of his mind. So on Saturday night, he marched down the stairs and beat the pilgrims within an inch of their life. As they lay on the ground, unable to even move, the giant's face grew into an ugly grin. My name is Giant Despair. You're far along in your journey that you know the importance of names, I reckon. I'm going to torture you until you're in complete despair, and then I'll end you. Slowly. He laughed and tossed a bag containing a rope, a knife, and a bottle of poison into the cell. Perhaps you might, you know, want to take matters into your own hands. If you wait for me to do it, well, it won't be pleasant. (laughs) He laughed again, horribly. After just four days in the dungeon... The pessimistic Christian and the optimistic hopeful were ready to discuss the potential of suicide. There seemed to be absolutely no way out. Life was miserable, and there was no indication that it would get any better anytime soon. At least if they died, they would be out of the giant's hands for good. But eventually, Hopeful made the point that the giant had wanted them to kill themselves. 
Wasn't that a bit fishy? If he really loved torturing them so much, why did he pass them the things necessary to give themselves a quick out from all the torture? Hopeful's optimistic nature went on. He had been a coward. He had let the giant abduct them, take them here, and lock them into this cell, and he had just accepted it, gone along through fear. From now on, he was resolved to either escape or die in the attempt. But Hopeful's strong resolve was weakened in the coming days. First, the giant beat them nearly to death, again, and warned them that there was more where that came from if they didn't kill themselves before he came down to his dungeons the next time. Then, as suggested by the giant's cruel wife, the giant took the pair to see his torture chamber. He had torn people literally limb from limb here, and he'd do it again to them. And soon, by the end of next week, he was going to torture them to death. He then beat them cruelly, again, all the way back to the dungeon. But to his surprise, the pair didn't seem to be as discouraged as he expected. Disappointed, he sought his extremely cruel wife for counsel. Hope! She squawked, almost as if she was afraid of the very word. Hope, he repeated absentmindedly. They have what? He jumped out of bed in rage. Oh, clearly, the giant's wife said. By this point, everyone has either taken their own life or been literally driven insane by fright, terror, and torture. These people must have some form of hope that they'll get out. The giant trembled. In the land of doubt, his land, the land of giant despair, hope would be the death of him. You might be asking how at this point. He's a seemingly invincible giant who has tortured thousands of people to death, beaten our heroes almost to death, and has faced literally no opposition so far. But the giant is sitting on his one weakness. A big weakness. His kryptonite, if you will. And Christian is about to unlock it with a deus ex machina. But that will be next time when we finish up Pilgrim's Progress and we'll find out that when you're captured, it might be a good idea to take inventory of the tools you have on hand instead of waiting days or weeks. And that when the immortal beings that run the place tell you to do something, you'd better do it. I'm not really going to go into explaining Pilgrim's Progress much at the end of this episode as we still have one more Pilgrim's Progress episode left. I thought I'd get it finished up this week, but there was more to the story than I thought, despite having read it to cover to cover during my childhood. We'll probably have a bit of extra time next episode, and I'll use it to go into Pilgrim's Progress in more depth. Anyways, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please spread the word and leave a five-star review. Anyways, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please spread the word and leave a five-star review. Credits to myself, Caleb Howard, for script writing and theme music. I'm thankful to all of you for inspiring me to keep going with this podcast. Have a great weekend, and see you next time.